Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's guest is Dr. Lottie Valentine. Dr. Lottie is a naturopathic medical doctor, author, evidential medium, and spiritual educator. She was an atheist before she experienced two out-of-body near-death experiences, and we're going to talk about that today. Dr. Lottie, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. All right, so my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences, and if you don't mind, can we start with your first one? Absolutely. Um, My first near-death experience um, happened after I gave birth to my third child, and I was started hemorrhaging. I hemorrhaged right after birth, and she was born in between two earthquakes of a 7.4 and a 7.2 earthquake. Wow. And my labor actually stopped um, for about half an hour. So who knows what actually caused all the problems in the end. But I hemorrhaged right after birth, and then I started hemorrhaging again uh, 10 days after she was born, and I went to the ER. They said, everything looks fine. They sent me on my way, hemorrhaged again the next day called the hospital. They said, okay, you're going to see the doctor tomorrow. Went to see the doctor. He did a manual examination. They said, oh, everything looks fine. Um, You know, it's just a trickle of blood coming out. I went back home. I started hemorrhaging again. We went back to the ER. And again, they came in and they did a manual examination. And they said, oh, you know, it's just a trickle of blood, you know, coming out. Doesn't look too bad. And I was hemorrhaging, you know, like the size of a baby's head of a blood clot would come out. So there were, you know, a lot of blood loss. And then they said, okay, we're going to keep you here for observation. So I'm in the ER. So I'm thinking, you know, great, I'm safe now. And I start hemorrhaging again. And the door is closed. This is in 1992. Mm -hmm. And no bell to ring. I'm just lying there. And I start bleeding again. I start hemorrhaging. And the whole table is just covered in blood. And I'm just thinking, you know, I'm young. I'm in my early 30s thinking, well, this is, you know, this is great. Finally, you know, I'm hemorrhaging in the hospital instead of hemorrhaging somewhere else. So uh, eventually this nurse comes and she opens the door and her jaw just drops. You know, when you see, I can still see that face. It's like, <gasps> you know, that, that sheer horror when they, when they look at you. And I hear the call in the loudspeaker, blah, 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 you know, OBGYN stack to the ER. And the call goes out and echoes, you know, through the hallways. And I'm just thinking, great, you know, finally, they're going to figure out something is wrong. And this elderly doctor came rushing in with this younger physician behind him, probably a a resident physician. And again, they do a manual examination. So they're like, they're looking, you know, just a trickle of blood's coming out. And then I I try to sit up and I say, I don't feel too good. And this huge blood clot, you know, comes out. And at that point, the doctor knew because he could, he had seen how much blood I had lost on all the bloody papers. And they just pushed me down on the table and started tipping it backwards. So my head would keep going down and my feet going up. And 
on my left, I had this nurse that was trying to place an IV because back in 1992, they didn't place IVs. You know, now if there's a chance the patient's going to go into shock or passing out, the first thing you would do is place an IV so we have access to the veins, right? So she's trying to place an IV, but I'm already, you know, in shock. And on my right, I have a nurse uh, quoting my blood pressure as it's dropping. And being on that table, it was like I was just free falling. Imagine jumping out of an airplane and just falling to the ground or being in an elevator that just plummets through its shaft. And that's probably, you know, my blood pressure dropping. I just felt like I was falling. But it's shortly after the nurse kind of yells out and and she says, 50 over 15, hurry. And that's my blood pressure. Now, 60 over 20, you're, you're not supporting a heartbeat anymore. So, and it's very shortly after that, that she yelled out the 50 over 15, which I heard would wake up for years afterwards, you know, dreaming about the, the trauma of having that experience. And it was shortly after that, that I knew that I was dying, which is very different from thinking that you're going to die. Because a lot of us have been in situations where you sort of see your life flashing before your eyes. I'm, you know, the accident is coming. You're in a car. Oh my gosh, this is it. I'm going to die. But this wasn't like that. I've been in situations like that in my life when you think this is it. This was very different. I knew that I was dying, but I was a complete atheist. So what do I do lying on this table, being a complete atheist? We have, you have absolutely nothing left now. I pray to God to save my life. So here I am on this table and I'm pleading with God. And I'm like, I have three children under the age of six. My children were six, three and a half and a newborn. And I said, you can, I, I have to live. You have to save my life. They need a mother. And I'm just pleading, you know, to hold on. And it's the feeling is like you're hanging with your nails off a cliff that at any second, you're just going to slip and fall to your death. It's that kind of feeling. And it was shortly after that, that I just got sucked out of my body. So I'm sucked out and now I'm a couple of feet above my body. And you often hear stories of how people are in the ceiling and they're looking down at their body. I have no memory of looking down at my body, just being above my body, you know, more like seeing the ceiling. And, but knowing when I was outside my body, the first thing that I thought was, wait a second, how can this be? How can I be outside my body and still be me? So that in itself just threw me for a loop because I'm an atheist. I was an atheist. I didn't believe in anything. I did not believe in any religion. I did not believe in angels, nothing paranormal. It it was all just baloney to me. And here I am outside my body. But being in that state on the other side, there was a feeling of unconditional love, though I didn't meet anybody in this first experience. But I also knew that there was no time on the other side because I knew I had access to all information past, present, and future all at the same time. And that time really only exists in our physical plane, the way we perceive life. But also I knew that I belonged to the body down there and that I was somehow attached to it. And I've heard people talk about the silver cord and things like that. But there was a knowing that that's where this part of me that was outside or the soul or whatever you want to call it, that it belonged down there in that body. And shortly after that, I just got sucked back into my body. And the feeling of leaving and coming back in happens so fast that there is no way of really describing it because one second you're inside your body and the next second you're not. And people have asked me, do you know from what part of your body you know, you left? Was it the crown? Was it the heart chakra? Was it this? Was it that? There is no way because one second you're inside, the next second you're not. So it because it happens so quickly, there's no way for me to tell how you get in and out. Though other people might have had that experience of of saying, you know, how they left. But it was a part of my experience. And then I was just sucked back in, almost like Tim Allen in the in that movie Santa Claus when he goes through the chimney. It's my best description because it's 
like a, a like a giant vacuum hose that's just going and just sucking you back in it's just but it happens so quickly and then i was re- became really sick and it was it was a nightmare um and about nine months later, I started bruising and I would go to the doctor. I had bruises that spanned my entire hip area. Something that would give you a bruise the size of a dime gave me a bruise that spanned my entire hip area, just purple, red. And I kept getting pneumonia and I was just so sick. And uh, it turns out, so they did a blood test and they said, oh, you know, you have no immune system. Do you have leukemia or AIDS? And I told them what had happened and all the bleeding and, and all of that. And I was on this, on this healing journey and we didn't have any medical insurance at the time. So I couldn't, I kept being told, you have to go to the emergency room. You're too sick for this. And I kept just throwing away my lab work and just taking the medication and knowing that I I was improving. Um, I was getting better, even if it was, you know, slow. And if I bent over to, to put my knee on the floor to tie my children's shoes, I would get a bruise covering my knee. Any kind of pressure on my body would create bruises. Mm. So um, what that is called is like a bone marrow suppression. You're not making enough uh, you know, red blood cells, white blood cells, or platelets. So there was a suppression of the whole immune system. And then, so I keep getting better um, slowly Uh, But I'm having every day, it's like my soul wants to leave. And this happens several times a day. And I spend a lot of my time just holding on to my soul. Um, I wasn't, it took me six months to get to the grocery store to just get a gallon of milk. Mm -hmm. And even years after, it took me about six years to start function normally, to be able to walk through a grocery store and get my groceries home in the same trip. Many times I would be in a grocery store, people would come up to me and say, are you going to pass out? Because I would just be completely white. And I would have to sit down in the grocery store and put my head down between my legs because my I had so little blood in my body. I was so deficient. And I had this constant struggle of staying in my body. And this was just you know part of my normal life. And at night, often I would take my head off the pillow, pull my legs up because I would just feel like I'm going to here I here I go again. I'm going to leave. Well, two years after my first near death experience, um, this is now my normal routine of just constantly struggling and staying within my body. It's late at night. My husband's already asleep and I wake up and I'm feeling really faint and dizzy which was just part of my life at this point. Um, And I'm doing the same thing as I always do. I take my head off the pillow. I try to hold, you know, hold on to my soul. Don't leave, don't leave, stay, stay. Right. And I just get sucked out of my body. And it's the same kind of feeling like I had the first time where one split second, you're inside your body, the next second you're outside. But this second experience, I always joke that, the universe meant for me to have this experience the first time in the ER, but the doctors were too quick to save my life. So I didn't get to have the experience. So I had to have a second one because it's this second experience that really transformed my life and activated my life path because everything I do today relates back to this particular experience. And, but this time I get sucked out of my body, but I just tumble through space There's no tunnel. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just falling through darkness, almost like somebody dropped you off from the spaceship. You're just tumbling through space. That was the feeling. But then I arrive at this place that I call the mid station because I call it the mid station because I grew up in Europe. And when you go skiing, like in Austria, like all the Europeans do or Switzerland, they have, you can go all the way to the top or you can go to the mid station, which is halfway up the mountain, right? So it was that feeling that there was there were levels above me that you could go higher, but there were levels below me. And I somehow ended up at this mid station, which I also called the bouncing station, as if when you get there, there it's kind of like, OK, you came too far. We're going to send you back because that was my experience. So I get to this mid station without my body and it's just my soul and when I arrived there, the first thing that I noticed is that it has the most beautiful music you have ever heard. 
And this music, you can't really make it on the earth plane. And I'm very musical. I grew up playing the piano and voice lessons and all theater and all that kind of stuff. That was my childhood. But this music was very different. And it was the most beautiful music you have ever heard. And again, I'm really perplexed because I'm having this experience, but I'm outside my body. But what I see is this log cabin. So I open the door to this log cabin and I'm thinking, the music must be coming from inside the cabin. So I look inside, but it's just, it's empty. There's nothing inside it. So I think it's really strange. I look to my left and I see another log cabin, literally the mirror image of the first one, but it's on my, on my left. I look inside that cabin, but it's empty. But as I'm being perplexed about, you know, where is this music coming from? there is this growing light behind me, a very, very bright light, kind of the feeling of, if you think of like car, um, like auto shops where you buy a car and they have those big spotlights, it's that kind of a spotlight as if you're standing in that spotlight and it's just a very, very white, white light. So as I'm turning around and face this light, I become aware of angels in the light. And there is an, I don't see the angels per se, but I see the outline of the angels in this white light. And I know that the music comes from the angels, but I don't believe in angels, right? I had my first near-death experience, but I have discounted the experience as that is something that happens in your brain from oxygen loss and it's, has to have a scientific explanation. So here I am again, having another um, experience of seeing angels, even though I don't believe in it. So as I'm standing in this light, there is also a knowing that this light is God's source or higher source. Um, you know, everybody has different religions. And it's to me, it's just the source of the greater power. Um, I don't care what you call that source. Everybody calls it something different. But it is a knowing that this white light is that source and that we, we carry this light within us, but we also, we come from the light. We carry it within us, but we also return to that light, you know, when we die and we leave our physical world. So that is what we are truly connected to but that light is just pure love and so that light is who we are we carry that light we are we come from the light we're part of the light we carry that light within us and as i'm in this light immersed in this light i become aware of two spirit guides one to my right and one that like diagonally to the left in front of me and the one on the right tells the other spirit guide telepathically is what we're communicating. And he says, what is she doing here? She can't be here. She has to go back. And I say, no, 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 wait a second. You know, how can this be? How can I be outside my body and still be me? Like, how does this work? Because I have spent, you know, almost two years discounting my first experience. And here I am again, having another one. And then the spirit guide on my left says, if I told you, you won't remember mm -hmm. as if they can control, you know, what we get to remember. But then he says, you will remember this. And then um, the best description I have, is almost like, okay, it's just like a movie theater that appears in front of you because the image just appears. And it's like, I'm standing on the moon, looking down on the earth, but around the earth, there is this um, like diamond shaped, um, what I call the glittery fishnet because it was sort of sparkling. It was like a silver colored, what I say, fishnet um, around the earth. And that's because I grew up in Northern Europe in Scandinavia laying fishnets in the ocean with my grandmother. And when she lifted out those fishnets in the early morning sun, the, the sun would shine on the water droplets on the fishnet and it would like sparkle in the sunlight. So to me, looking at that, it looked like a fishnet. And I know now with now that we have the internet and we can search on these things, it's referred to as the grid. And that, so that is what I saw, the grid around the earth. And he said, everything on earth is connected 
to each other. But everything on earth is connected up to this grid. And with that, I got sent back. And so my whole life now, my, my spiritual teachings is all about that because we are truly connected. Uh, and now we have, you know, science uh, starting to back these things up with physics. And um, that is just what transformed my whole life path and everything, you know, that happened after that. Um, so those are the, the two different types of, of experiences. Well, thank you for sharing those with us. I appreciate that. I'm not exactly clear on your illness. I just want to, before I get into your experiences, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask. So you had a bone marrow disease for a while. Mm-hmm. You were not producing enough blood. And then mm-hmm. that's what caused your second NDE. Yes. So after the first one, uh, I kept getting sick and kept getting pneumonia. So at six months out, um, the whole family got pneumonia. We had no insurance because my husband's company he was a, like a regional manager and the company got bought. And so he was doing, you know, job hopping from job to job to get the salary back up because he was the sole supporter for, you know, his wife and his three kids now. And uh, we went to the walk-in and um, I had, you know, pneumonia and ear infections and they gave us, you know, all antibiotics. And then everybody got well, except for me, I kept getting worse. So after eight days on antibiotics, I went back. And the doctor said, you know, what's going on with you? You're, you know, you're way too sick. You have to go to the ER. And I said, I'm not going to the ER. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I was still traumatized after my first ND. Right. And they took my blood and they said, they came back in and they said, you have leukemia or AIDS. You have no immune system. Right. And then with all the bruising starting uh, that spring, and eventually, you know, I got back. They gave me more medication. As they called me this next, you know, the next day from the walk-in clinic and said, you know, how are you doing? Because if you're not better, you have to go to the ER because otherwise you can die. Mm-hmm. And then again in May, I had the, that big bruise. I went to the doctor and we lived in California in Huntington Beach at the time. So the weather is great. Nobody gets pneumonia in May. Mm-hmm. And the doctor, you know, he thought first he thought my husband was abusing me because the bruise was so big. And I, I had my three children with me because my husband was at work. And I said, look, I'm telling you the truth. This is what happened to me. And I'm getting better because I actually drove myself here. This is almost exactly a year after my first NDE. And I put the children in the car and got here. So that shows I'm getting better. I know I'm sick, but we're getting insurance July 1st and it's May. If I do lab work now and it comes up showing that I obviously have a blood problem and then we're not going to get insurance, I'll have a pre-existing condition. So it was it was tough. And then I kept getting better. And then um, we got moved um, to the East Coast uh, in October. Uh, now we had insurance and I was just well enough to make it onto that airplane. Mm. My husband kept saying, we should have gotten you a wheelchair. Just like walking to the gate was exhausting. And for five years or six years, it took me um, until 1998. My daughter was born 1992 uh, for me to be able to walk through a store without sitting down and passing out. So it was just this, uh, you know, constant slow healing, but I never um, sought medical treatment for it. You know, all the doctors, I kept hopping from doctor to doctor because I, I was afraid of going back because they all wanted me to do lab work. Oh, you're mm-hmm. too sick. You have, you know, there, you have a blood disorder. And now go having gone through medical school, um, you know, I know that that's what I had. Um, either idiopathic thrombocytopenia, which is ITP when you have a suppression of your platelets. So I know I had that because I had all those bruises and I was bruising so easily for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also getting sick all the time, having pneumonia, you know, like seven times in five years or something. It's that constant immune suppression. So I know I didn't have white blood cells either. So now we're talking about uh, bone marrow suppression where it suppresses, uh, you know, the way that you're making your blood cells. So it was a, it was a long journey, but I made it. Yeah. Did you, I guess it just resolved on its own. Yeah. It, yeah, it resolved. It took a long time. It took me, it took me six years, um, to start functioning normally to be able to just go to the grocery store and not get bruises from just, you know, slapping my hand against something. Uh, I became a very good squatter during these years because Mm -hmm. if I put my knee on the floor, I get a bruise. Um, yeah, it took me it took me a good 12 years total because I had a lot of 
electrical interference after um, this happened. Mm -hmm. uh, so I could tell you some stories about what happened. What I want to know first is, mm -hmm. where did you go religiously? And where are you now? I mean, you were an atheist even mm -hmm. through the second time. Did you become a spiritual person and believing in God? Did you become a Christian or what happened to you? Right. So I have a really hard time. I've looked at many different religions. Where where do I fit in? Where do I belong? And it's come to the point where I don't fit into any category because I feel that all the religions that we have on earth were, you know, in, in a sense created by the human population from being guided by spirit. And we have different religions in different parts of our world depending on what the culture is that we live in and what works for that culture. And so they're, they're steered by that. So I have a hard time saying that one religion is the, is the right one versus somebody else's religion. So to me, it's just, I became very spiritual. I understand that there is a greater source that is um, our divine guidance, our divine source of power. And depending on what your religious belief is, that's what you're going to call it. So if you're Christian, you're going to call it, you know, it's God or Jesus. Now I grew up in Sweden. So in Sweden, back in when I was born, everybody was a Lutheran automatically. And if you didn't want to be a Lutheran, you actually had to tell the church that I do not want to be a Lutheran because if you're born there, you're a Lutheran. And I was confirmed going through confirmation, you know, at age 14, I did not believe anything that they taught me. I thought it was just all baloney and this is just all stories um, and just never, uh, you know, had any belief, religious beliefs. So I would say that I did not become one religion, but I became spiritual and I accept all religions for what they are and what they bring to those people that have faith in that religion because it's helping them with their life and, you know, getting through life here on earth. Mm -hmm. It's not easy mm -hmm. to be uh, here on earth. This is, this is hard work compared to being, you know, on the other side, but you know, what we do here transfers to the other side because our life is eternal. And so the way I look at life, I always joke that I am, you know, when that we all go through hard times and when you go through hard times and, and life is like a roller coaster, right? It's up and down constantly. Life is really smooth. And then here comes the next obstacle. But when you go through these obstacles, I always tell myself, I am not doing this over again in another life. I'm going to get this right this time. Mm -hmm. Because, if, you know, if you check out or you, you don't want to be in this life anymore, right? But you didn't finish it. And when you work through things as hard as life seems at times, there is always, I always tell people, there is always a sunny, dry road on the other side of this very muddy tunnel that you're going through right now. But it doesn't, nothing lasts forever. Mm -hmm. And these are just obstacles that we have to learn to overcome in this life journey that, that we're on. And the more, the more you can resolve in this lifetime, the more, you know, the more things you've resolved and you don't have to do it again. You know, I, I often talk about the, the sticky notes analogy and how once when you were up in the spirit world planning your life, you wrote down all the obstacles you're going to have in this life and you pack them all in your backpack. And then you incarnate and you don't remember anything about this. But each time you pull out this problem, you pull out the sticky note from your backpack and you're like, OK, I got this problem. I can solve this. And then that's it. You did it. Your mind, you changed your perception of this problem. You encountered that same problem. You now know how to handle it, right? You pull out the next sticky note after a couple of months with another problem. And as you go through life, that backpack with all those sticky notes that you packed gets lighter and lighter and lighter. And so it's just a matter of, you know, keep, keep working, keep, you know, take, take a step aside when you're going through difficult times and just say, okay, this is just another sticky note and I'm going to solve this sticky note problem so it doesn't come back. I'm going to throw it away after the end of, of this, you know, resolving this problem. When you were in that white light that I think you were calling love, do you mm -hmm. feel like that light was also healing you? It is 
the, because the light is just pure, unconditional love, um, I did not experience like a healing per se, or um, to me, <clears throat> the light was just pure love. You know, it's just that it's like you're part of it. It's this unconditional, pure love. But if you were, if you were sick, now I was sick. Um, I did not have that experience of it feeling like it actually healed me. It was just this overwhelming, unconditional love that it's so overwhelming that you can't really, I don't even know what to compare it to um, because the love is so submerging on all, like every cell in your body level. It's like you are love. You are, you're, it's like you're part of it. You're just, you can't even imagine what it's like. How could I, you know, thinking of thinking of my life before, if somebody told me this because I was such an atheist and scientific, I would be, ah, that per, you know, it's just dreams or just something that happened in their brain. Um, but that experience is is very transformative in itself because it's just unconditional love and acceptance of who you are. It's that we are all loved. We are all we all come from this. We are love. We've just forgotten because we're having this human experience. Yeah. Now you mentioned that you started affecting electrical stuff. What other changes happened to you due to this experience? So I, there was a lot of electrical things. Um, my watch is all stopped. So I put my watch on. This is after about three months after my first NDE and it stopped within a few days. And it was a pretty new watch. And it took me nine months before I had the strength to walk from the car into like a Target, if you live on the West Coast, or Caldor on the East Coast, to get a new watch. I just had enough strength to walk in, buy a watch, get through. If there was no lines, I could get in and out of a store in five minutes. Um, otherwise, I would standing still would make me feel like I was going to pass out. I wore the watch for five days and it stopped. And I said, wow, this is so... You know, incredible. Like I got a new watch. It was so much work for me to to do that little tiny shopping excursion. Um, so I went back, I returned it, and I said, I don't know, it stopped at the customer service. And they said, Wow, it's unusual. We haven't gotten any other watches back. Uh, I got another one, wore it for five days and it stopped. Returned it, and again, same story with customer service. They said, pick another one, and I picked a different brand because I thought, well, maybe they have a problem with quality control. Got another watch. Same thing. After five days, it stopped. So I told my best friend and she said, it's not the watch, it's you. Mm. And then it dawned on me that, oh, my gosh, it's it's me. Um, but again, you know, I'm still struggling with thinking that it's just my brain. It's the you know, oxygen loss. My brain made this whole thing up. Um, so I had a, you know, a really hard time with all of that. Then the television would turn on. So my, it was right around my daughter's first birthday and I walk by the television and it turns on and I'm thinking, okay, it's my seven year old and my four and a half year old. They got the TV clicker and they're outside playing with the neighbor kids in the little courtyard and the TV clicker is on the table. I go to eight neighbors to ask them if they have a, the same TV, if they're watching TV, if they just turned on their TV that it could possibly have, you know, gone through my window and somehow turned my TV on. Nobody's home or the two people that were home, they were like, no, we're not watching TV. So nobody turned it on. I went back in, walked by the television. It turned back on again. And that's when it, oh, it spooked me because I'm still dealing with thinking this is all made up. And now I'm turning on televisions. My, my watches are stopping. And I looked around and I said, maybe it's my grandmother. My grandmother was always joking. And... I, I just didn't have an answer for it. I didn't know anything about near-death experiences or what happens to those people. You know, this is 1992, 93. So to find things out, you had to go to the library. And I was too sick to go to the library. There was no internet that you could search on back then. And um, then I started becoming clairvoyant. And um, I, right after my first near-death experience, 
Um, they kept me, of course, in the hospital overnight. And my sister-in-law had just passed away like a week earlier, 10 days earlier. And as I'm lying in this bed, all hooked up to, you know, monitors, I sense my sister-in-law in the top left corner as I'm lying in my bed. It was up in the left corner. And I can hear her. And she says, you're going to be okay. And I'm thinking, how can I hear you? Because I knew it was her. And, you know, again, that threw me for a loop because I just had my first NDE the night, you know, the evening before. But that it started like the next day. And of course, I'm, I'm thinking that I'm just making all this up. How could this be? But then more and more things started to happen. And uh, we were, it was about one year out and I woke up in the middle of the night and I knew my uncle was in the room and that he had passed away and he came to say goodbye. And I could, you know, I was lying in bed and I, I knew he was up in front of me. I could not yet see the spirit, but I, I could sense them and I knew who it was. And I knew that my uncle had lung cancer, but I didn't know how sick he was or that he was, if he was expected to pass away soon. And because I think a part of it, they shielded me from it because my family is in Sweden and I was in the United States. And I expected my mom to call me the next day and say, hey, you know, your uncle, my brother passed away, but nobody called me. So I said, wow, this is so strange. You know, why is nobody calling me? Two days went by. Nobody called me. Finally, on the third day, my mom calls and she does a little small talk. You know, hey, how's things going? You know, just checking in. And I'm just sitting there waiting, like, when is she going to say something? And then finally, she says, oh, I, I also wanted to tell you something sad happened. Uh, and I said, yes, my uncle passed away, your brother. And he was just silence mm -hmm. on the other side. And my, my mom said, you know, how did you know? And I said, he was here. And it's, it's interesting because and then she said, oh, you're just like my mom, your grandmother, because she always knew when people died. And I, I never knew that, that, mm. you know, that that was a, a big thing. Um, but so that's sort of how it started. So it started right away. And then as time progressed, it just became more and more. And I would start to see things. Um, I once I woke up in the morning and I had um, three images and I like to tell stories that are verifiable. So the first image I see is this black scratch on the side door of the of the van. We had a van at the time. And because the kids are, you know, 9, 12, and 14 or something. And I'm driving the kids to San Francisco every day because we're living in East Bay, San Francisco. And they're going to school in the city. And I see this the black first image is black scratch on the on the side that the kids get in and out of the car on the entire van door. The second image is my, I see two of my kids in the car, which is my middle child and my youngest. And I said that you're in the front seat uh, and my, my daughter's in the back seat. And then the third image, I'm leaving a note on the windshield of a black sedan car, but I don't see any drivers. I don't see any police. I don't see any ambulance. And I can't figure out why I'm leaving a note. If we've been in an accident, why would I leave a note? So I tell my kids, my two kids, that I said, you know, I, this is what I saw. These were the three images. You guys are in the car. Where could this possibly be? Because we have to turn left to have oncoming traffic to hit our car. So we go through all the intersections because I'm driving them to the city every day. And as we come off the Bay Bridge, uh, crossing the water over into San Francisco, we get off the exit, we come down to the light, and then we make a left turn onto this street. And that is the only street that has oncoming traffic. So it's the only time our, the right side of the car is going to be exposed. And all the other streets in San Francisco are, tends to be one way. So it's not common that we have two-way traffic like, like it is in most cities nowadays. And so every time we get to this light, my kids' noses are pressed up against the window, you know, looking, Mom, the coast is clear. Mm -hmm. you know, and we go because we're thinking this is, this is where it's going to happen. So we do this for about 10 days and nothing happens. And then we go to the bookstore uh, in Walnut Creek. We live in, in the Walnut Creek area, in which is East Bay, San Francisco. And we come out of the bookstore and there's a big truck offloading books, you know, for the bookstore. And it's really difficult to get out on this tiny little narrow street. And there's cars coming into the parking lot. 
And as I'm turning on to turn, making a right turn onto the street, the right side of my car scrapes the black sedan car that is parked <laughs> on the street. So as this happens, you know, I know exactly what that square is going to look like. So I stop my car, I get out of my car, I walk around and I see the scratch on the van door that looks exactly like I've described it to my kids. And I just lose it. So I'm just standing on the street and I'm, my, my head is tilted up to the sky and I'm just laughing full force because it's, I'm just relieved that it's over all this tension and stress for like 10 days. And of course, here I am leaving a note on the windshield of the parked black sedan car because there was no driver. It was parked. Right. So these are things um, that would happen. So, I mean, I have many stories that I can tell you, but mm-hmm. I don't know how much time we have. No, that's a great story. <laughs> Let me ask you this. So mm-hmm. what made you decide to become a naturopathic medical doctor? So, you know, all these things would happen, right? I would see things and hear things. um, And it was just ongoing. And as time went by, um, more and more things happened. And at 12 years, before I said it took me 12 years to really heal, that's because after 12 years, my watch ticked for 12 months before it stopped. And so I kind of declared myself healed that summer. And I said, this is it, you know, summer, July, 2004, I did it. My watch ticked for 12 months because it took about for each month I added. So the first year it was after one year, the watch would tick for a month after two years, two months after three years, three months. And that was pretty much how it went for 12 years. So it took 12 years to make this tick. And in 2004, now I'm used to, hearing things about relatives and you know people getting sick or people dying it was just this constant more and more clairvoyant and clairaudient uh skills that were being developed slowly over this period of time and i was looking on the computer and i'm thinking you know i need to go back to work and you know my kids are you know teenagers and i've always been interested in in medicine my father was a, a physician himself one of my brothers is a surgeon my mom was a hospital floor administrator. So it was, you know, I've always been around uh, like healing or helping other people, healing other people. And I came across naturopathic medicine. And then I realized that it was a medical school. And I was like, oh, it's a medical school. I can't go to medical school. I'll be, you know, in my 50s when I enter medical school. And there's no guarantee I'm going to get in. There's no guarantee I'm going to even graduate if I do it. And all the prerequisite classes, I have to take general chemistry, organic chemistry, biophysics, math. I mean, it's just a lot to to do. So I just kind of closed the computer and I was like, okay, that's it. I'm not doing that. And I'm walking to the kitchen and I become aware of a spirit guide in my living room. And he says, no, you have to go to medical school and become a doctor. And um, you know, I'm just kind of stunned. And he says, um, you have to write two books. No, wait, three. And then he says, um, you have to combine um, like East and West, which is kind of what naturopathic medicine is. But also uh, now I'm also looking at it spiritually, like combining old and new, um, you know, bringing those two things together and bring healing and messages to the people. And those were my messages. And literally within a week, I was enrolled in pre-reg classes because at this point, after 12 years of having all these verifiable experiences happen over and over again and having that experience with that clear of a message, you know, it was, there was no way that I wasn't going to do it. It was just, you know, you're guided. This is, this is what you got to do next. And I asked, I said, what am I supposed to write about? Like, I don't even know what, what that would look like. I've never thought of myself as an author. And there, the spirit guy was just, don't worry, we're going to tell you when the time is right, we'll tell you right now, focus on becoming a doctor. I get to medical school. I do all the prerequisites. I apply to medical school. I get into medical school despite my age. And so here I am in med school and I'm looking at, hello, spirit guys, what am I supposed to do? Like, give me the next step. For four years straight, I went year round. It's a five-year program, but I did it in four, just, you know, plowing through year round. And I keep asking, what's next? What am I supposed to do? Same answer for four years. 
just graduate, just get your medical degree. And I thought, okay, this is it. You've lost your marbles. Like, who does this? You put everything on the line. You leave, you know, this other job that I had then as a sales manager in the biotech industry. You left a nice high salary to go to medical school. And now you're not getting any any guidance. And as soon as I graduated, here came the next wave. And uh, I met someone who uh, was a medium that I didn't know. I met, met at a conference and we were having dinner. So she doesn't know anything about me. And she says, I'm a medium uh, and your mother is here. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, this will be good. There's no way mm-hmm. she's going to be able to say anything that's even going to come remotely close to who I am because my life is very different. I grew up in Europe and it's, you know she can't even guess. She doesn't know anything about me. Sure enough, she pinpoints all these different things. And she says, you have to go to Arthur Findlay College in England. And she says, do you know what that is? And I said, actually, I do. Because I had been to a conference at IONS, International Association for Near-Death Studies. And Suzanne Giesman was one of the speakers who a lot of people know. She came from, you know, she was the Navy commander of the United States. And she said, I studied at Arthur Findlay College. And I'm at this conference during my one-week break as a third year medical school student. And I hear my spirit guide say, you have to go there. And I'm arguing with the spirit guide saying, I can't go there. I'm, I haven't even graduated from medical school. What are you talking about? This is crazy. You know, I I can't do that. I got to graduate. I got to get a job. I got to do my residency, all this stuff. Sure enough, as soon as I got out, I had taken my boards. I didn't even have my results from my boards. I I didn't even have my license yet. And I meet this woman who says, you have to go to Arthur Finley College. And the message was so strong. And she kept just giving me more and more evidence that you had, this is something I had to do. And so six months later, there I was in England. And the rest is history. And then I learned that not only can, you know, when you communicate with spirit, you know, you, you have this um, ability. I didn't know at the time, I, I knew it was a relative that came in, or I would know it's a spirit guide but I didn't believe that you could pull in a spirit for somebody else. And that's, you know, as soon as I got out of med school, there I was at Arthur Finley College and I realized that, you know, yes, you can pull, you can communicate via spirit for somebody else. And it took me a good three days at Arthur Finley College because I kept thinking, oh, it was just luck. It was luck that I got her grandmother. It was luck that I got her father. It was luck that I got her sister. Um, But then, you know, after three days, I said, wow, it's not luck. This is something that's really true. And we can communicate with spirit. So um, that's my life has now transformed understanding the importance of how much healing that can bring to other people, because you can get closure, um, you know, for all different ways. If if you miss somebody in the spirit world, or if you lost someone, um, you were on bad terms, and all that healing can take place because you can bring in the spirit's and get communication from the other side to that person so they can you know relieve all that pressure and sadness and and grief that they're holding in their heart because then that is going to affect their physical health as well because it's interconnected so my life now is about uh joining the two and um, you know bringing spirituality into healing the physical because there's more than just healing the physical component Um, sometimes we have a spiritual or emotional component that also needs to be healed in order to create the physical healing for someone. Hmm. I'm guessing that Arthur Finley College teaches mediumship? Yes. So Arthur Finley College is a a castle, would be the best Hmm. way to describe that, about an hour north of London. Hmm. And it is a school for psychic development, a world-renowned school. So people come from all over the world. Um, to study there because it's evidential uh, mediumship, meaning, um, you know, anybody can say, oh, I have your grandmother with me. She says she loves you, (laughs) right? How do you know that that's true? So uh, it's evidential. So you have to bring in, say, uh, you know, I have your mother with me. And she tells me, you know, sometimes um, depending on the medium, every medium works differently. Many times when I work, I'll get the exact diagnosis and I'll say your mother suffered from breast cancer. I can see that she underwent chemotherapy. Uh, It started in her left breast and and things are very detailed. 
And so you are kind of saying, I know who your mother was. And this was her personality and this was her life and, you know, things like that. Um, anybody can say, you know, this person loves you. So that's why it's called evidential mediumship, because you're trying to bring some evidence to uh, the person you're doing the reading for to say, yes, I am communicating with this person and this this is who he was or you know, he died when he was younger, or he died in a car accident, or he, he lived into old age and, and just, you know, basically died from old age, mm-hmm. something that can help, you know, verify the information. Can you give us an example of a mediumship that you did for somebody that was otherworldly or just almost unbelievable and very impactful for you? Oh, yes, there's been many. Um I think, um, I mean, the one that's, that just comes to mind is um, the burden that uh, somebody felt for um, knowing that her brother uh, was always depressed. And so growing up, she was always watching out for her brother. And so um, her brother came through uh, during the reading. I didn't know anything about her. And um, I said he committed, he took his own life, he committed suicide. And she said, yes, yes, he did. Um, and it was her brother. And and I would see um, her brother kind of like on a pedestal and how she was always looking up to her brother. So I knew he was older and she was younger, but she was always uh, watching out for her brother. And, and she, the whole time growing up, she was kind of the person who watched out to make sure he wouldn't commit suicide because he always had problems with depression, but he managed to commit suicide, but he was, he was older. He was like in his fifties. Um, but she still fa- felt like she had failed on her shift, but having him come through and say to her that it wasn't, it wasn't her fault that this is, this was his life path. And this was, what he was, you know, it was nothing anybody could have done to prevent him from committing that suicide. And the relief for her and all the crying um, that she could never release that guilt feeling that she had carried um, for, you know, many, many years already that she had failed on her watch and it was her fault that he had passed away. Mm-hmm. So that that was probably one of the most you know, powerful um, readings. But um gosh, I've been so many crazy ones. Um I had um one client that um his wife passed away of breast cancer. Um and yeah, they're also different. Um this one um she had passed away from breast cancer and she was, you know, very lovely uh, young woman, uh passed away in her forties, but he asked you know, what is, um, I felt like she showed me the sign last week. Can you ask me what sign she showed me? So I said, well, I can try, you know, meanwhile, you're thinking, oh my gosh, it could be anything, a fly on a coffee cup. It could be, you know, pine cone in the driveway. So I asked and I said, you know, what sign did you show him? And she showed me a small white feather. So I said, she's showing me a small white feather. And he said, yes, I had a small white feather land on my shoulder last week and I knew it was her. And so it's just, you know, things like that are mm-hmm. so life changing because you know that, you know, that they're really there because they're giving you exact information. Um, I had an, a grandfather came through um, that I saw and I said, he, your grandfather uh, was in the military and he, I see him in an air force base Um and I said, he met your grandmother at the Air Force Base, but the grandmother did not, she did not work on the Air Force Base and she was not in the military. She was bussed in for the dance at the Air Force Base. She came on a bus and that's how your grandfather met your grandmother. And the person was like, yes, that is exactly what happened. Um, you know, so that is, um, you know, just amazing. And he showed me that this person is writing a book and, um, all the different things that was going on in this person's life. Um, so it can be, you know, sometimes it can be so detailed, the information that you get. Um, I've had uh, 
readings where you know people tell me what they're doing i said you know what is they say what are they doing in the spirit world um and this was a a, a young man in his 30s that passed away um and it was a, kind of like an accident that happened and he um he kept showing me instruments and she just kept saying, what is he doing? And I said, he's, I don't know. He's showing me all these different instruments. And she just starts laughing. This is the mother of this child. And she said, he was a musician. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's does that confirmation and you don't know why you're seeing things sometimes, but it's just spot on for the person. It's spot on. Right. Yeah. And it could be, it could be anything or it could be, and people communicate differently too. There are times when, um, you'll communicate with the spirit world and the connection is very good and you understand each other very easily and the information comes through very easily and it's easy for me to understand. And there are other times when you feel like you're just like pulling the information out. And um, I think one of the hardest readings I did, it was, I had a mother and there were just two daughters that I was talking to. I was doing the session for him. And I said, your mother died of ovarian cancer. And they said, yes, she did. So that was correct. And I said, your mother, you know, she loves you very much and all this kind of stuff, but um, she's not a good communicator. And she, it's very, very hard for me to get the information. It was, I felt like I was just like pulling one thing at a time. And they, again, they just started laughing and they go, we've had so many readings and every single person that has done a reading for us says the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, she wasn't a good communicator in her life. She had a very hard time expressing her feelings mm. and even just expressing herself. So it's interesting, you know, how, what comes through, but also the way that the, the spirit communicates, if it's easy for, if we communicate, it's, it's almost like the frequencies, you know, they, they match up. So it's easy to communicate. Sometimes it's harder to communicate. Um, it just depends. It depends on how the, how the spirit communicates and what your style of communication or mediumship is. I'm saying I see mostly images when I communicate and I hear when I, if they show me how they died, I'll feel it. They'll they show me they'll I'll feel pain uh, in the organ itself. And so being a doctor, I know what that organ is. And so that's how I can many times say the exact cause of death, mm -hmm. but um, had a, another funny, uh, really funny uh, reading. One of my funniest, he was such a funny, man and i said you you sat by his bed when he passed away and he but he said he's just he just stepped out he keeps saying i just stepped out and then he's showing me a punch card like a punch clock you know people punch cards check in and out of work and she just started laughing and she said that he always did that was always his work. He punched cards, you know, mm -hmm. clocked in and out. So that's why he said, I just stepped out. I just punched out. And he showed me the punch card. And she said, I sat by his bed for days. And, you know, every so often I would check my messages and emails. And then when I looked up, he was gone. I just looked on my phone for a few minutes and then he was gone. So she knew exactly that I just stepped out. I just punched out and the whole punch card. Um, so, you know, and then of course, many other things, but it's, just so amazing that that is what I mean by very, you know, bringing evidence because you wouldn't see that if it wasn't relating to that person. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, so it's very, very unique for each, each story um, that brings something special for, for the, for the person who's getting the session, something yeah. that's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you at on your task of writing three books? Have you completed all three? <laughs> no. So I, I graduated from med school. And then I wrote my first book. So my first book is um, Med School After Menopause, mm. The Journey of My Soul. And that book is to help other people transform their life because it's never too late to make you know, changes in your plan and go after what you truly love. Um, and it is a story about my life and all the crazy things that have happened and uh, you know, clairvoyant, you know, how all this different clairvoyant experience happened um, for me and how that can help other people. So I have um, little uh, messages after each chapter with um, a short exercise that literally is just you read it and then you remind yourself to incorporate that into your life. And so it sort of takes you on a journey through my life with my two near-death experiences and everything that happened around that, uh, developing clairvoyance and going to med school and everything that comes from that. 
And it's really just to help other people. So that got published in November of 2019. So about a year and a half ago. And uh, now I am working on, you know, compiling information for my second book, which will be uh, a deeper um, spiritual book. So I'm hoping that this book is going to help develop that spirituality and intuition for other people and teach people to listen to their own heart and, you know, go after and figure out who they truly are and go after what they're passionate about, because that's what life is really about is you know, pursuing the passion, things that come naturally to you. So besides being an author, do you have any other projects that you're working on that you want us to know about? Oh, I'm always working on things. So I I have different, um, except for, you know, working as a physician, uh, which I do, I split my time uh, between working as a physician and working spiritually with people. Um, I also work as a medical intuitive, which makes sense because I see and hear things, um, about my patients, but also, um, you know, just tuning into somebody, um, you know, on a medical level and, and seeing what's going on with them, um, which is also what they told me at Arthur Findlay, you're probably going to end up going in this direction because of, of that medical degree. And it makes sense um, that that's what I'm doing. I also work a lot with ancestral healing because we are, um, we are tied to our ancestors, whether we like it or not. Whether you have a good relationship or whether you've rejected your ancestors and you never talk to your family members, it doesn't matter. You're still entangled with that energy because you came from that, um, not only energetically, but also DNA wise. And we inherit trauma via DNA, which is now they have a lot of research going on. And we already know a couple of genes. I know one of them is FKBP5 genes, um, where trauma is actually transferred over to the genetics. So if your grandfather had a trauma, it now can express in, you know, the grandchildren, for example. So it, it doesn't matter if you, you you reject your parents and grandparents or if you love them because you're still entangled, uh, not only via your DNA, but also via what I call the the energetic grid of, infra, you know, of energy and, and, you know, depending on what you believe, but the energetic cords and strands of, you know, how we are connected, you can feel energy, you feel the love of another person, you feel if somebody's rejecting you, you go into a room with angry people, you know, that the energy in that room is, is angry, right? We, we are human creatures that tune into these energetic um, levels. And so I work with ancestors, I'm trained in ancestral healing. Um, so I do a work with that, but I also sometimes also work with that spiritually because sometimes people don't remember, but sometimes the, if that person is diseased, sometimes that spirit comes in and helps us resolve that, that trauma that that person is carrying. Um, and then I also teach classes, um, on and off. So if you just go to my website, uh, divine spiritual essence.com or Dr. Lottie, D R L O T T E.com. They're linked together. So Dr. Lottie is, um, you know, has my medical information on it. Divine spiritual essence has more of my spiritual information on it, but I also teach classes sometimes in mediumship, psychic development. Um, I, I also teach, um, kind of beginning ancestral healing just to help people understand how to look at that problem how how do i know if i'm carrying a problem just kind of an overview of how do you where do you even start with that um also um teach something called awaken your divine potential which is to help people uh find that intuitive power within themselves and how to transform their life and um you know sort of enter into the fifth dimension of living um of, you know, understanding that everything is connected and, and we're all one in the end. Um, so just helping people, you know, teaching them how to sit in the meditation. How do you connect with a spirit guide? How do you, what, what are spirit animals? You know, just kind of helping people, you know, walk into that and start exploring that. So I do a lot, a lot of different classes and teachings. And then um, I also have my own podcast, Dr. Lottie Science with Soul, where I bring other healers and doctors to help uh, people understand uh, a lot of uh, medical issues in our society um, are often misdiagnosed, for example. So I try to bring in people um, 
that talk about that, that are experts in that field to help other people learn about it so that they can go get the right treatment that they need. Uh, and other problems such as anxiety, which is very, very common that people have anxiety. So bringing other experts in to help other people create healing in their own life. Combined with, uh, you know, other spiritual teachers and gurus, my own uh, teachers from Arthur Finley College, for mm -hmm. example, uh, you know, because they're the, they're the experts in the field. They have, you know, 30, 40 years of experience uh, working with mediumship and teaching other people. So just bringing all different kinds of healing to other people to enable other people to create a path of healing in their own life. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, just go to one of my websites, either drlotty.com or divinespiritualessence.com and pick one of the emails and email me. Okay, great. All right, before we finish up here, do you have one last positive message that you want to share with everybody? Uh, yes, I would say... Um, Everything, um, never forget that, number one, life is eternal. And when you're going through difficult times, remember that this is temporary. It doesn't last forever. And it is through this darkness that transformation and, and new life gets created, right? So it's just, you're just going through a transformation process and, Everything will be okay in the end, right? Um, so always remember that as we go through uh, through difficult times, but also that everything is connected. You know, we're all one. And everything is divine. And so are you. Thank you for those messages. And Dr. Lottie, thank you so much for joining me. I wish you the best and have a great evening. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. All right. Take care. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.